What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Introduce my, my friend, Dr. Barry York, to you. Um, Dr. Barry York and I go back to our friendship goes back several years. We were working on our, our doctoral degrees together. We met up at Orlando at RTS, not to be confused with RPTS, Reformed Theological Seminary Orlando is where we met doing classwork together. We've remained friends. Um, Dr. York is the president of RPTS, the seminary right here in Pittsburgh, so we're pleased with that. He also uh, teaches classes on homiletics and other such things. I need to mention a couple of other things that he's done too because he's very prolific in his writing and speaking. He has a book called Hitting the Marks, Restoring the Essential Identity of the Church. I do commend that book to you. I'd love for you to be able to get that book. Do you know, is it available back there? Is it on the R? I think it's on the RPTS table, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's not Crown and Covenant, is it? Is it? Okay, maybe it's there. I don't know. I think it's back there. Don't forget to check out our exhibition booths. We have a couple upstairs and a couple downstairs. It'd be great for our exhibitors if you would show them a little bit of attention. They want to share their ministries with you. They're excited about what they do for the glory of Christ. Mitch Tepper has a ministry to, uh, to Jewish persons. It's an awesome ministry. He'd like to talk to you about that. He's downstairs, so check out Mitch at snack time. Uh, David O'Leary is going to be representing for us. We have a church planting venture called Living Hope Fellowship that's right here in the area. We're trying to plant a church in the Harmony, Zelianople, Evans City area. If that means anything to you, David would love to talk to you about church planting possibilities right here uh, in our area. But back to Barry for a moment. He is not only the president of RPTS, he also is the editor of a, a really cool blog called Gentle Reformation. They have a great um, t- uh, team of contributors, so check out gentlereformation.com.com or dot, dot something or other. Gentle Reformation, you'll find it. And then finally, he also has a really cool podcast called Three Guys Theologizing, and they talk about all kinds of things related to the church, ministry, the Bible, theology. It features Barry as a professor, there's a pastor, and then there's a guy that's a lawyer too, so they have all kinds of crazy conversations. It's a great podcast, so you might want to subscribe to that on your podcasting app, all right? Barry, come on up, brother. Let me pray for you as you come up, and then we will we'll receive your message this morning. Heavenly Father, we dedicate this entire day to you, a day of, of learning, study, theology, examining our Bibles, Lord. But we also pray that the Holy Spirit would come by way of conviction, guiding and leading us into the truth and further into holiness as we pursue Jesus Christ. Lord, we love him as our Savior and Redeemer And now, Father, help us to pay close attention to the message, and may you bless your servant 
Dr. York as he presents to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, welcome. Welcome, brother. Thank you, sir. why this text. Uh, there's nothing in this psalm about sex or pornography. But um, I would say to you this morning that though my topic is pornography, if I had to give this talk a title, I would call it pornolatry, which I will explain. And then my subtitle would be the spiritual, the spiritual consequences of sexualized worship. The spiritual consequences of sexualized worship. So with that in mind, let me read to you from God's word. Psalm 115, hear the word of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray once again. Our Heavenly Father, you who have created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain, you who have made us, we bow before you in submission this morning to your word and to your spirit. May you please have your way with us during this time. And would you, Father, please help us to see the things that are often difficult to see and to discuss. For we pray it in Christ our Lord. Amen. Ian and Sandy were excited. 
because daddy was going to come home that night and he had promised to have a special meal with them. You see, daddy had been working long hours for weeks on end and often when he got home late, they were already in bed, but he had promised to be there with them that night. So mommy made his special meal for him. Mommy put ribbons and Sandy's, little Sandy's pigtails of the color that was daddy's favorite. Ian had a plan. When daddy came home, he was going to be hiding behind the curtain. He's going to scare daddy and then ask him for a big kiss. But the dinner grew cold. Mommy ended up having to put two heartbroken, teary-eyed children to bed. And daddy didn't come home until the wee hours of the night. And this wife eventually discovered that he hadn't been out working late, but instead he was living out his long-term pornography habit by visiting strip clubs and other women. This is a true story. It's told in Laurie Hall's book, An Affair of the Mind. And sadly and tragically, it's repeated in thousands of households as the tsunami that's pornography sweeps, continues to sweep across our land. A few statistics. The pornography industry in the United States alone is a 10 to $14 billion a year industry. Worldwide, it exceeds $100 billion, and it outperforms Netflix, just to give you a sense of its reach. Every second, every second, 28,258 internet users are engaged in viewing pornography. The estimates are that 200,000 Americans are addicted to it, much like a drug user is addicted to his drug, spending hours and hours per week watching and being involved in pornography. The Justice Department says that between the ages of 8 to 16 years old, 9 out of 10 of our youth have seen pornography. And as a pastor with over 30 years of experience, I don't doubt that statistic. Pornography is in the church, and it cannot be denied. Though becoming addicted to pornography is a danger, and losing your family is a danger, those are really only consequences of a far greater danger that the psalm is warning us against. I want you to see the far greater danger of what I'm calling pornolatry, and the way that we will look at this this morning is considering the sensual, idolatrous nature of pornography and then the soul-destroying work of the sin and then the self-revealing truth of pornography. So first of all, the sensual, idolatrous nature of pornography. It's something we have to see, and yet by its very nature, it makes it difficult for us to see. Almost impossible to see is that pornography is idolatry. It's idolatry. 
We need to define idolatry. It means to literally to serve an image. That's what it means, to serve an image. And it's defined to be in part a blind or excessive devotion to something. Image worship. Divine honor given to a created object. That's what idolatry is. And Psalm 115 is a contrast between those who worship the living God as we were created to do, as we've been redeemed to do, and those who worship idols. Note in verse 4, it tells us that idols of silver and gold are the work of human hands. The idolater either makes the idol himself or he depends upon a professional to make it for him. The prophets often spoke about this. Isaiah said in chapter 40, as for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. And then, very interestingly, it says in verse 8, that they trust this idol. They put their trust in the idol. You see, there was a great temptation in the ancient world to worship idols. And as you begin to think about it, you wonder why people could give themselves to some of these idols. Israel was always warned about it before they went into the promised land. And certainly their history is an indication, especially from the prophets, that their greatest sins were idolatry and immorality. And often these are so intertwined we don't realize it. The two great idols of their day was the god Baal, the male and female god, uh, the god Baal, the male god, and Asherah of the Canaanites, uh, referred to as Ashtoreth from the Phoenicians. And these idols, if you look at them and you study them, were actually just crude, pornographic images that the ancients were using that had uh, immoral practices associated with them. Baal was the god of fertility. He was pictured as this man with a helmet of horns upon him, seated upon a bull to show his strength and virility. And he was the god that promised to bring in the crops for you in the fall and to produce children for you. And there were awful practices associated with worshiping the god Baal. The Asherah, the Asherah was a female deity. It was a goddess of sexual passions whose figurines often show a nude woman with exaggerated breasts. Anything starting to sound familiar to you? Listen to some of the condemnations of their ill fruits in Scripture. Jeremiah 22, 13, and 14. Among the prophets of Samaria I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. You hear so often in Scripture that idolatry is synonymous almost in the prophet's lingo with adultery. And there's no no secret why, because these people were practicing sexual sins even as they claimed to worship 
the God of heaven and earth through their idols. Sexual rights by the people were gross. 1 Kings 14, they built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. That's what was going on underneath those trees. And sometimes the practices became murderous. Jeremiah 19.5, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons and the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind, says the Lord. Pornography is idolatry. All the times where I've had to counsel men in my office, and it's been too many, we start talking about their pornography habits. I tell them, your problem isn't just a moral problem. Your problem's a worship problem. A worship problem. How can you go into the Lord's house on a Sunday before the living, holy God and worship him? And then turn through the rest of the week to these idols, to this sin. If I haven't convinced you yet, listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Tell us what idolatry is. He says this in chapter 5, verse 5 of Ephesians. You know with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he's clearly speaking about sexual sins here. The word immoral in the Greek is porneia, from where we get pornography from. Other versions translate it as fornication. It's sex outside the bonds of marriage in any form, in any form, is porneia. It's a broad word. The word impurity is consistently used for sexual sin in the scriptures. Paul says in Romans, speaking of homosexuality, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And then over in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. And even the sin of coveting, think about it, can often be associated with the sin of immorality because coveting is longing for something that doesn't belong to you. Remember, the commandment against coveting doesn't only talk about possessions, your neighbor's house, but it also says don't covet your neighbor's wife. James Fawcett Brown says that impurity and coveting are so closely allied that the Greek is used sometimes in scripture and often in the Greek fathers, the word for coveting, for sins of impurity. And Paul says, 
if you're moral or impure or a covetous man, you are an idolater. When you lost, whether it's sitting in front of a screen or using your imagination to make pornographic movies in your mind with someone else, you're committing the sin of idolatry. And you need to see the soul-destroying work of this sin. Let's think about this. The soul-destroying work of pornography. Sometimes it helps us to disassociate for a moment and think about it in another realm and then bring it home. I think all of us in this room look across the ocean to lands where idolatry is practiced openly with images and see the folly of it. When we look and see people in India entering into the multitude of their Hindu gods and bowing down and worshiping them, we can see the folly of that. I, you know, it's hard for me to understand how someone can go into a Buddhist temple and before this big, fat, naked guy bow down and think that somehow that that's true worship. And there's something to be commended in that, but that's what they do. That's what they do. And we look at that across the ocean and we say, how foolish, how, how stupid all that is. Can't they see what they're doing? And the pornolatrist scoffs at the Buddhist. But then again, that's the way of idolatry. Because idolatry has blinded both fools. That's the horrible judgment here, isn't it? In a very pedantic way, the psalmist describes the idols. Mouse don't speak. Eyes don't see. Nose can't smell. Ears can't hear. Feet can't walk. Can't do anything. And then the reason for it all. In verse 8. Those who make them become like them. That's what the guy worshiping the porn star doesn't get. And that his, in his fantasy to actually see, and hear, and touch her, it's all a lie. And the most awful thing about the lie is that you're becoming like the image that you're looking at. You think that that image wants to be with you, wants to, you want to be with it. You know, you, the Buddhist, you know, he wants to live in a higher idealized state, and so does the pornolatrist. You know, it's just a delusion for the both of them. That picture, that video is not real. It's an it. And it can't hear, it can't see, it can't feel you, and it's not going to happen the other way either. And what the pornolatrist doesn't understand is that he's becoming blind, he's becoming deaf, he's becoming insensitive, he's becoming unfeeling. And that's why I told that first story. Here's a man with a beautiful wife and family. And he's become totally blind and deaf to them. To the woman that he pledged to love and not let anything separate him 
from, and yet he's allowed pornography to do it. He's deaf to the cries. Deaf, blind to the disease, to the destruction that will come upon him. And when he protests, it's gotten to the point it's gotten to the point where you, you just start knowing what's going on. The, 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 marriage, the couple comes in, there's a marriage problem. And, and the guy, just, he just doesn't see it. He, he, he isn't listening. And then when you start questioning about the pornography, once he admits it, he'll find some way to blame the wife. His Adamic nature shines through every time. And that just goes to show you how deaf and how blind he has become. And that's awful. That's an awful blindness to have, to be insensitive, to be uncaring and feeling, to allow your sins to be destroying. I've had women tell me, I could understand it. I could understand it if he was with another woman. But the pornography just makes them feel so unworthy, so shameful. But again, that's not his greatest problem yet. For he's grown deaf and blind in another direction. He fails to see the affront that his pornolatry is to the holy God who dwells in heaven and earth and does whatever he pleases. God created man, you've heard this last night, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God put man and woman in this world to reflect his glory, to honor him with holiness of life, to put them into sacred bonds of marriage where they love and serve and enjoy one another in a beautiful union of love. But the pornolatrist plays God. He's going to create his own image. Deny that he was made in the image of God. He's going to play God and create his own image for his own pleasure, for his own glory. He's going to trust that rather than trust the God of heaven. And the pornolatrist not only becomes unfeeling and unseeing and unhearing on the horizontal level, but he becomes so in the vertical direction as well. He's lost his mind. He has taken on the spiritual IQ of his idol. Isaiah 44 verses 18 through 20. They do not know nor do they understand for he the Lord has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts so they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, there's no knowledge, no understanding to say, 
Speaking of the idol and the tree from which it comes, I have burned half of it in the fire. I've baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and I eat of it. And then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. And the prophet says he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? It's all pornography is, friend. A lie. A lie in your hand or a lie in the hand of those around you who practice it. What a problem it is. What they cannot see is that they cannot see. What they cannot hear is that they cannot hear. What they cannot feel is that they cannot feel. And it makes you wonder, is there any hope? Well, let's talk here and we have further application about the self-revealing truth of pornography. Maybe you're here today and God has given you victory in this area and praise God for that. But if he has, I'm sure he's bringing plenty of people around for you to minister to. There may be others of you here who are struggling in the areas of temptation. You've given in. It could be that some of you are one of those 200,000 or more who are addicted to it. Whenever this is an issue, whether it's in your ministry or in your own personal life, there's one encouragement I can offer to you today. For your, The sin is revealing something. It's revealing something. It's revealing something about you. This longing, as perverse as it may be, shows you're not in the judgment of death yet. Or your friend who's struggling with it is not in the judgment of death yet. You still have desires. You still have feelings of some sort which means there's still time for change and it's showing something else to you. You're not satisfied. Pornography is not satisfying. You have to go harder, longer, stronger. You can't just do it a little. It's never satisfying to you because it's not the waters that God has called us to drink, that God has provided for us to drink from. There's this thirst It's going to take one thing to truly quench that thirst. We're told here what it is. Rather than trusting in the idol, verse 8, we are called three times here to trust in the Lord. Verses 9 through 11. Trust in the Lord, why? Because he is our help and our shield. God never asks us to give up something here in this world that he does not promise. This is the wonderful thing about the gospel. Is he never asks us to give up something in this world that he does not promise that he will replace with something far greater. With something far greater. To the rich young ruler, he asked him to give up those riches that he was making an idol and to follow him, but he didn't stop there. He says, if you follow me, I will give you treasures in heaven 
that you can't lose, that thieves can't steal, that you will have eternally. To a poor woman at a well who was on her sixth man trying to find satisfaction in earthly relationship, he says, I'll give you water, water to drink that will always satisfy you. To disciples who left homes, he promised families a hundredfold. Our God is a God who's asking you to give up the lesser so that you can receive the greater. And three times he tells you here, he's speaking to idolaters, his people who become idolaters. He's saying, trust in the Lord, for he is your help and your shield. How do you trust in the Lord? Well, I think here's some particular applications I would encourage you to make if this is a struggle in your life or use to call others to make to whom you minister. Cry for help to God. Cry to help for God. Notice in verse 12 it says, The Lord has remembered us. When we forget him, he hasn't forgotten us. When we become insensitive to him, he still, in his incredible grace, remembers his people and calls to them. And he's asking you to call back out to him for help and to be his shield. You need to ask him, God, I've become like Solomon. I had wisdom, but then I let the, the impurities of this world tempt me, and in your house I put idols. And God, I need you to cleanse those idols out of my heart and my life. Cleanse me, oh God. And God, pour forth these rivers of living water, which you promise. The older I get, the more and more aware I am of the need of the presence of the Spirit of God in my life to do anything, to do anything. My folly and my youth, sometimes I relied on my flesh or my seminary education or whatever it may be to try to do the Lord's work. It's empty. (laughs) I don't have the power. It's not our power. It's not our might. It's His Spirit that can save, and it's his spirit I've seen redeem people from this sin and flood their souls and put a new love and new affections where lust and perversity once reigned. You need to ask God, ask God to give you of his spirit and help you. You need to seek help from others. This is not a battle to face on your own. There's a corporate call here. He is their help. He is their shield. We have to be together in this. We have to stand together. Men, we have to stand together. We've got to help each other. We've got to call out and cry out in this generation for people to leave their idols behind and come and follow the Lord. And we have to live holy lives in this world. In a sense, the men of the church need to rise up and show that there is help, show that there is a shield. So a lot of broken and hurting people in this world. There is a friend, there is a pastor, there is someone you can go to and confess and find strength and help in the Lord. And ask God for the help to feel again. 
Ask God to help you feel again. Remember, blind men cried out to Jesus. Lord, I want to see. Cry out to Jesus. I want to see again. I want to see you again. Jesus says in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And then he says this. And I will manifest myself to him. You need a new experience with Christ. A deep, sweet, intimate relationship with your Savior again. And it's possible. It's possible. Ask him to help you to feel again. Notice the psalm. Verse 14 has in mind... God blessing us, saving us out of our idolatry, and then blessing us and our families. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yes, you, you, used, you used his creation to make idols, but now you're repenting. And you're asking the God who made all these things to now bless you. And to bless your children. And I know pornography is not only a, a male sin. The statistics are in that women participated in it as well. But when I've heard a woman turn to that, it's always because of a sense of neglect. Of not being cared for. There might be other reasons, but that's what I've heard. To the men here, I want to say to you, the women in your life need your true affection and your true love. They need it in the home where men adore their wives and love their wives and lay down their wives, but they need it beyond just that. Daughters need dad's attention, dad's affection, dad's love. Women in the church need to be around men that they know care about them as sisters or daughters or mothers in the Lord and treat them that way. That's why we have to feel again, love again, and trust again. In God's incredible grace, as a young man, he converted me in the midst of an apartment where I was living with guys who were involved in this sin. And for some reason, only God's grace, he put a detestable fear of the sin in my life. And he freed me from it. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. And I have three daughters. They're all young women now. And my youngest one's getting ready to get married year and for each of the men who've come into their lives I've had a talk with them serious eye scorching talk because <laughs> I am not giving one of my precious daughters to someone who is not freed from that sin as well and I want to read to you 
a poem I wrote a number of years ago. It captures a moment in my time with my youngest daughter when she was three or four years old. You see, if you're not free from the sin, it does affect you in every which way because you can't love the way that you need to love as a father, a brother. And this little poem's called Cuddle Up Like the Moon. And this actually happened. Through the window, we see the wintry sky, the curve of the waning moon bright against its black cold, a silent reminder of the one that governs over the darkness. It casts a warming glow on the bed inside. The wiggling of a young girl fighting sleep brings smiles to a slumbering father lying near, thankful for the gift of a daughter's love in this dark generation of icy hearts. Her sudden request opens his tired eyes. Dada, will you cuddle up like the moon with me? The meaning remaining a mystery until he sees again from her pillow perspective the ruler of the nighttime sky. In response, the father becomes a crescent as she snuggles her little body against his. The chattering fading and sleep triumphing again, yet not before she says, in faith not yet full. It's hard to say I love God more than you. So as she closes her eyes to enter sleep's peace, he whispers again of one unseen, the giver of all love and seasons, and reminds her that one day she will awake beyond the moon in her true father's embrace. Dads, our daughters need us they need to be secure in our love. Brothers, your sisters need you. Both in your family and in the church. We are called to treat older women in the church as mothers, younger ones like a sister. And we need God to help us to feel again. To care again. To be the church. This heavenly community on earth where broken and hurting people can come. Unlike all the news accounts that we hear today, not be abused, not be taken advantage of by their spiritual leaders, but cared for and loved and helped and healed. And there's one thing about the gospel one thing about the gospel that always just gets me and helps me times of temptation flaming missiles come how there's a thing about the gospel that to me is such a shield as I think about it it's to remember that our Savior, in dying for us, went to the cross 
and he was stripped naked, exposed, so that all of our ugly sense could be placed on him, and we could be free from him. And he was willing to do that for you. He was willing to do that for me so that we could be clothed in his holiness, his robe of righteousness here in this world. He is our help and he is our shield. Trust him. Trust him. Let us pray. Father, as we bow before you, we, we know that we live in a wicked generation. We live in a generation of great idolatry before you, where so many have turned away from the true and living God to seek satisfaction in the idols of our day. And they may have become more technologically advanced. They may be more easy to access, but they are idols nonetheless. You who have given us this great gift of technology and computers and smartphones regularly see your people use them for their own pleasures and loss. And so we come before you at this conference that's dealing with this topic of sexuality and we ask that you, O oh God, would forgive, that you, O oh God, would cleanse, that you, O oh God, would help us to turn away from these idols, to never participate in them again so that we could be filled with your spirit and with new and fresh experiences and knowledge of you. And Lord, learn what it means more to sacrifice and to love and to care for those around us. Father, where there is healing needed, I pray that you would bring it. Where there are marriages threatened, I pray, O oh God, that you would restore where there is a right hand or a right eye that needs to be cut off or gouged out, I pray that you would grant the strength for that person to do so. Again, thank you for this congregation, for them hosting this time to, so that we can think and meditate on serious matters such as this one. And we pray, Father, that you would particularly protect them from the evil one and use this congregation to bless and see people saved out of idolatry and be brought into a right relationship with you. Hear our prayers, O oh God. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church 
just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.